0: You know it, one of the comforts of being a follower of Christ is that we what what may take us by surprise it doesn't him and uh we uh we have each other to depend on we have each other to know that we're no listen <laughs> it's all good it's all good uh it's 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 comforting to know that we have a church family right that will surround us and pray for us and and interestingly enough. Uh, as God would have it, we are talking about church encouragers today. We are talking about that very thing, and so we're going to uh, continue our series that we've been in for just a few weeks. This would be week three, uh, called Barnabas the Encourager, and we're talking about encouragement. And I can't think—I can think of very few things that are as encouraging as knowing that uh, I have people praying for me every day, and that uh, when something does happen, that we can. We can pray for one another and lift each other up. Now, again, we've been in this series. This is week three. Uh, The first week, we talked about encouragement from generosity, and we talked about uh, how Barnabas was a great example of that. He gave uh, beyond um, uh, what uh, was asked of him. It wasn't asked of him. He gave even mortgaging his temporary future for his eternal future and investing in the church. And we talked about uh, last week, encouragement from friendship, how he vouched for Saul, uh, who would become Paul uh, at his conversion so that uh, Saul could begin his ministry. Paul could begin his ministry and and ultimately fulfill what we know of him today. Uh, The greatest missionary that ever lived wrote most of the New Testament. Um, and today, next week, before I get to today, next week, we're going to talk about encouragement from failure. Do I really get a second chance or a third chance, as Ben pointed out uh, a little while ago? Do we get second chances? Can you ever recover from a failure? We're going to look at that next week, but today we look at church encouragement. You know, um, my kids are, have always been involved in different activities, as I'm sure if you have children, they are. Uh, Timmy's played baseball for years. Eli just started last year, and one of the things that my that that uh, that Timmy and Eli have, have always had uh, was a group of uh, Timmy's always had. Eli has now is a cheering section, and it's a, it's usually made up of course Mandy and me and and uh, um, brother and sisters and um, and and all of that. But there's usually a few folks from the church there. Uh, We've got a a couple that kind of became their adopted grandparents. They don't have grandparents of their own, the Patridges. Uh, We love very dearly. They are in Scottsboro, and they still travel over here to many of Timmy and and now Eli's games so that they can cheer them on. And even ballet recitals. Now, they won't let me cheer at a ballet recital like (laughs) I do at a baseball game. Uh, I threaten, I tell Gracie every year I'm going to, but she, she would not like that. But, but Gracie and Annie, they all, again, the Patridges are usually there. My parents are there. Mandy's parents are there. They've always had a cheering section, and it, and it reminded me of a story I heard. A, uh, Trevor Lee wrote an article about taking his six-year-old daughter uh, to a soccer game. Her name was Aaliyah, took her to her soccer game, and Aaliyah wanted to know, if her grandmother and her granddad were going to be there during that game? And he said, yeah, I believe they will. Uh, I think so. And this is what she said. She said, I hope they are because when more people are cheering me on, I play better. (laughs) That's true of life, isn't it? I mean, when we have people that we know are coming alongside us, encouraging us, cheering us on, praying for us, we, we do better. We, we play the game of life better, I guess you could say. We need encouragement. Uh, we need friends, family members, church family to encourage us, to lift us up. Uh, when you know that you're going through something difficult or when you're celebrating something, it's sweeter, it's easier to endure difficulties when you've got someone there encouraging you, when you've got several people there walking alongside you and in encouraging you. you. We all need people to cheer us on. Not only that, let's be clear. Life is just better when you share it with other people. I mean, life is richer. It's more full. And, and when people are around you cheering us on, and it's called, this is called encouragement. And this is what we've been talking about. And it's 100% of God, and it is from God. Uh, we're followers of Christ. And it, it it should make sense to us that we should encourage one another. It should make sense because it is one of the things that God uses to help us fulfill the mission that he's given us. It's a part of the Great Commission. Uh, we, we, we have a, a question that we have to ask. Do we not get involved in others' lives, each other's lives, or do we sincerely value encouragement to the point to where we're willing to uh, cheer others on and have them cheer us on as well. If if we are truly followers of Christ, then, then we're going to get involved in others' lives. We're going to encourage and we're going to want to be encouraged. As a matter of fact, encouragement is an important part of why we're here. Encouragement is a catalyst for the Great Commission that we're all called uh, to participate in, to be a part of, making disciples and helping people come to know Jesus and becoming like Jesus doesn't happen without encouragement. It's a vital part of the Great Commission. And we're going to look at encouragement in the church. What does that look like? Uh, What is your and my role in encouragement within the body of Christ? Uh, So let's begin by defining encouragement. Uh, Quick review. Stuart Briscoe broke down the word encouragement this way. We've looked at this the past couple of weeks. If you look at the word encouragement, uh, at the very heart of the word encouragement, The core is C-O-U-R, which literally means heart, and then also we see the word courage. Uh, So we can say that it means to put heart into people. Encouragement is to put heart into people, is to impart courage to others, to try, to risk, and to press on when life is tough. We need those people cheering us on, or we won't make it. Uh, we need each other. We need encouragement. And we have the ability to put heart into people, to give courage to people through encouragement. We can actually impart courage. Uh, is grandma and grandpa coming to the game because I play better when they're encouraging me, when they're cheering me on? We all can identify with that. Encouragement is so vital in our lives. It really is a stimulus for the soul. And this isn't some You know, humanistic philosophy, you know, uh, self improvement type of thing. This is biblical. When we lift up others with encouragement, we are lifting up Jesus. In Romans 15 5, God declared that He is the God of encouragement. The source of encouragement is God Himself. And the source of encouragement gives us our encouragement and the ability he works through us to encourage others 30 times we see you and I as followers of Jesus are told that our only or one of our duties not our only duty but one of our duties is to encourage others to impart courage to give heart put heart into people to try to risk and to press on 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another. I mean, it can't be any more clear than that, right? We are to encourage each other, which brings us to Barnabas. We've been looking, taking a deep dive into Barnabas' life over the past few weeks. His real name is Joseph, but he's not known by his real name. He's known by Barnabas, his nickname, which means son of encouragement. If you remember, the apostles saw Barnabas. They saw his life. They saw him investing in others. They saw his willingness to give for the the sake of, of the church. They saw him uh, discipling other individuals. They looked at him and they saw that encouragement was so real in this guy's life. They said, hey, Barnabas, come here. We're going to give you a new name. You're not going to be known as Joseph anymore. From now on, you are going to be known as Mr. Encouragement. Encouragement is so real in your life. That's what we're going to call you. And so that's him. This is Barnabas. He is the son of encouragement, Mr. Encouragement. And this example in the Bible is here for us to encourage us. And you hopefully will be encouraged by this series, but also so that we will be encouraged, challenged to encourage others. We will take on this same uh, characteristic in our lives so that we will be known as individuals who encourage other people. We see most of the pictures of Barnabas in the book of Acts. Barnabas is in, a, is in it about 20 five times and today we're going to look at acts chapter 11 you can turn there in your bibles if you would like Uh, we're going to see this guy who didn't live for himself he lived for jesus he lived for others he gave his life away cheering on blessing encouraging others putting heart and courage into those people encouragement in the church what does it look like when it happens in the local body? If you look at the book of Acts, it is the Acts of Jesus through his apostles. It's the Acts of Jesus through the church. It is, it is, we see God's plan of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, the Great Commission, through the local church. We see that unfolding in the book of Acts. God is working. Jesus is working through his church. In Acts chapter 11, it takes place in a church, a local church in a city called Antioch. And this is the first time ever followers of Jesus are called Christians. And we'll talk about that uh, in just a little bit. It, it, it took place, this label is given in this place, this church, in this city called Antioch. To understand what happens here, if we go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 8 Jesus gives us our marching orders. And we most of us are familiar with that verse. Jesus tells us that we're to take the Great Commission to the ends of the earth. He we are we are on mission for him to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the marching orders. That's that's God's plan. And when we look in Acts chapter one through ten, we see the story of how the good news of Jesus spreads throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But Acts chapter eleven again is a pivotal point in the life of the church because it spread to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Acts chapter 11 is the launching point. For the gospel going to the ends of the earth. This is where it begins. So everything that we see as missions, shoeboxes going out to the ends of the earth, missionaries going to the ends of the earth, unreached people groups, mission teams that we send out, churches being planted all over the world. Everything we see as global missions, it all begins here. This is the launching point. This is the starting point of Acts 1-8 being fulfilled. The great commission being fulfilled, the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So this is a vital point, a turning point in the life of the church. So let's look at Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 21. This kind of sets the scene for what's taking place in Antioch it sets the scene. Again, the first 10 chapters, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now we're going to the ends of the earth. All the things that you've ever heard about missions all over the world, all those things, this is the jumping off point, the launching pad. This is the beginning point of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. That means the power and the presence of God was in their life. And a large number ton of people were coming to Christ, coming to know Jesus. Their lives were being changed. A large number who believed turned to the Lord. So they turned from sin, they turned to Christ. And this is how the early church was successful. And this is how we, Wall Highway Baptist Church, will be successful. Um, You know, if we're going to do anything for Christ, it's got to be about this. It's got, we have, we have to have God's hand on what we're doing or we won't be successful. And God has to be leading us. We've got to have the power and presence of God in our lives, full dependency. That requires full dependency on our part. So the church is booming. And now in this place called Antioch, this Roman city with totally different people, the gospel is spreading just like Jesus said it would. Look at verses 22 through 26. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem. That's the core, right? That's the the beginning of the church. 3,000 people at Pentecost come to know Christ. Uh, this is the first church, and so they hear about what's going on in Antioch, so they sent out Barnabas to travel to as far as Antioch. So the Mother Church in Jerusalem hears about what's going on. These people are coming to Christ. they see that that something good appears to be happening there right they it, it sounds like people are coming to Christ. this looks good so but we need to to make sure that this is real and that they are that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing to disciple new believers, that they are functioning as they should function as a church. So who do they choose to send to go to Antioch to investigate what's happening and to encourage these new believers? Well, it's Mr. Encouragement himself, right? Now, Antioch is a city that's 300 miles north of Jerusalem. This is no small trip, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's the third largest city at this time in the Roman Empire. In, in the United States, we have New York, we have L.A., we have Chicago. This was roughly Chicago in size. I mean, you have approximately 500,000 people, and they're all multicultural. And here's the thing, only about one-seventh of the population was Jewish. So this is, this is not a Jewish culture. This is a completely different culture. But when you think about it and think about you know, size Chicago, but culturally, think Las Vegas, That's what this city is. I mean, it is sin city. I mean, this was the place where if you wanted to go away and have a weekend where you just did all kinds of immoral stuff, this is where you went, okay? Antioch was that city. So this was a rough place. It's a pleasure-seeking, fleshly, breaking God's heart because he loves them, broken city. I mean, it is multicultural and, and plenty of immorality is going on in this city. But the church is spreading like wildfire here. And at this most pivotal time, the gospel going to the ends of the earth, here's Mr. Encouragement, Barnabas, verse 23. When he arrived and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of heart. For he was a good man, full of the Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So due to the growth of the church, they, they didn't have enough leaders. They needed more leaders. Um, so here's Barnabas thinking about that, and he thinks, okay, who would be a good person to bring into this? Well, Saul. He's the apostle to the Gentiles, so he travels. He goes about 90 miles from the city of Antioch to the city of Tarsus. He gets Saul, and he brings him back. And then it goes on in verse 26. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So Mr. Encouragement's in the middle of all this. It's perfect, right? He's a perfect guy to send From the church at Antioch to Wall Highway Baptist Church, every other church out there, this is our mission to the ends of the earth, and it begins here to the end of the school hallway, to the end of your work, to the end of your neighborhood, your family. It is the gospel going out, the Great Commission, Acts 1-8 is being fulfilled. So encouragement is a part of that. Mr. Encouragement goes to, yes, to see if what's happening is real, but to encourage people, those folks there, to continue on because this is a difficult city to be a church. This is a difficult city to be a follower of Christ. So what does it look like? If we cheer on others to fulfill the mission of Jesus, four things that we see from Barnabas' life. First, church encouragers love the church. There's no doubt Barnabas loved the church, you know. And and Sunday morning when his alarm went off, whatever that was, rooster or whatever, (laughs) It wasn't, hey, am I going to church or not? It was a done deal for him. He loved being at the church. He loved being around followers of Christ. He valued the church. We've already seen that in his life. He valued discipleship. Barnabas loved the church. If you were to take his calendar, again, whatever form that took, and look through it, I'm sure it was full of all sorts of things that were gospel-centered and church-centered, investing in other people's lives and that's just who this guy was that's why they gave him the name Mr. Encouragement and that's why they sent him to Antioch to do this the in Antioch is growing like crazy so I tell you what let's take some grumpy guy and send him there well no of course not these are new believers that that would have not been a good thing to do so they take Mr. Encouragement and they send him because they know not only will he be able to assess the situation and what they need in order to continue to to develop as as followers of Christ and as a church, but he knows they know that he will encourage them in that, and that that encouragement is is contagious, and that by sending him the church itself in the midst of a very difficult, a a very persecuted persecuted place, full of uh, of uh, folks wanting to snuff out Christianity. They know that Mr. Encouragement will help them continue to press on and to risk and to move forward. They, they know he'll put heart into them. Let's reflect as we think about this on what we mean by church, all right? Look at verse 22. We see the church met in Jerusalem. So the church, the original church is at Jerusalem, right? But then in verse 26, we see they met with the church. So when you think church and then united states and our culture a lot of people when you say church they think building right and we talk about the church We're going i'm going up to the church i say it all the time when we say that but but what the church really means is called out ones it's individuals who have been saved set apart saved by the blood of jesus by grace and set apart sent out ones called out ones and so the church you know we if if we got up from here today and went i don't know say, Dublin Park and met outside, we would still be the church. It's not the building, it's the people. We are the ones who have been set apart. We've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, by his sacrifice, by his death, his resurrection, putting our faith in him. We have been saved and called out. So the church, that's how the church can go to the ends of the earth. And the same Holy Spirit that resided in believers in Jerusalem was residing in believers in Antioch. That is the church. So when we talk about the church, we we are talking about people who belong to Jesus, who love Jesus, and who are passionate about the gospel going out to the ends of the earth, about people being discipled within the body of Christ and growing in their faith and participating in the Great Commission. And, And if we really love Jesus... We're going to love what he loves. And if we love Jesus, we will love his bride, the church, because he, we're told in Ephesians 5, he loved the church so much that he gave himself up for the church. You know, in this pivotal moment in the gospel, of the gospel going to the ends of the earth, the jumping off launch pad point of of the ends of the earth being fulfilled, we need to be crystal clear and understand what God chose to do at that time. The model that God gave us to accomplish missions and discipleship is the local church. Missionaries go out, and what do they do? They lead people to Christ, and they plant churches. And those believers lead others to Christ and disciple them. Missions and discipleship, the plan that God put into place for that happening is the local church. Jesus loves the church. You know, we live in a culture where people tend to bash the church. You know, you hear phrases like, I love Jesus, and, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of his followers, but I don't, I don't do the church thing. I don't like organized religion or, or any form of that. But, I mean, my question is, can you really love Jesus if you don't love the church? Because Jesus is very clear that he loves the church. I mean, I don't know how I would feel if somebody bashed my bride. I would not be too happy about that. And so if we say we love Christ, then we, we love the church. Barnabas loved the church. He gave, he gave everything. You know, he gave his future, his investment materially. He gave himself to, he risked himself to vouch for Paul. He's giving of his time here to go and disciple in this, in this you know, Vegas type city that was much different than Jerusalem. He's doing this because he loves the church. He loves Christ, and he loves the church. Second truth, church encouragers are joyful. Church encouragers are joyful. You know, Barnabas would have been a fun guy to hang around. Don't you believe that? I mean, he would have just been, he walks into a restaurant, and people that know him get a smile on their face, right? I mean, he walks in the room, and people just flock to him. He's just. You just get the idea that he was just, a good guy to be around, just fun to be around because he was so encouraging. I mean, I'm sure just being around him was encouraging. And Acts 13 tells us that Barnabas was full of joy, that it was just overflowing from him. And we get that impression from these snapshots that we're taking from his life. He was full of encouragement. Then we look at verse 23, when he arrived in Antioch and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. He was full of joy already, and now he's, he's full of joy. He's overflowing with joy because he sees what God is doing there. He was incredibly happy. Why? Because the grace of God. The grace of God will make you glad. Amen. The grace of God will make you joyful, regardless of where you are. This, the unmerited favor, the free gift of salvation, the blessings that God pours on us. When we think about who he is, what he has done for us, how he's worked in our life, is working in our life, how he's working in the life of the church, that's all grace. We don't deserve any of that. And so salvation, growth, relationship with him. Uh, That's all his grace, and when we think about that, it should make us glad because a guy like Barnabas, he knows Jesus, and he knows what he deserves. He deserves hell. We all do because we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory, but what he received and what we receive is God's grace instead. And so a guy like Barnabas knows that. He knows what he's received. He knows what he's been saved from. He knows how God has worked in his life. And when he sees God working in other people's lives, he's joyful. And when we think about church encouragers, we need to think joyful people because that's who church encouragers are. They're joyful people. And, and I want to say, listen, this is a joyful, encouraging church, and I'm thankful for that, all right? But this is something that, that if we're not careful of, we can, we can slip into a pattern of discouragement if we're not careful, right? If we're not careful, we don't guard that. If we're not intentional about being joyful, if we're not intentional about being encouraging, we can slip into being discouraged ourselves and then in turn discouraging other people. You think, think about this. Barnabas was a Jewish guy, Okay. He was a Jewish guy, Jewish upbringing, and he goes to this Vegas Antioch, all right? We say lost Antioch, I guess, maybe. This is what it was like. I mean, it was a sinful city, a multicultural city, people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. And I guarantee you, I don't know, I'm reading between the lines here, but I guarantee you worship was different in Antioch than it was in Jerusalem, so does Barnabas go in the church and say, well, we've never done it that way before. I don't know about this. You know, maybe, you, I, don't, I don't necessarily like that style of music, or I don't, I don't like, you know, how excited you guys are getting or how maybe they weren't getting as excited as they did in Jerusalem. Whatever the I mean, he, he doesn't go in and start picking them apart. The scripture tells us that he goes in, he sees the grace of God at work, And he's glad he 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 sees that God's hand is in this work and he's glad he's full of joy. He's encouraging different people, different culture, guarantee you different worship style. But yet he's glad because he knows God is in it and is at work because of the grace of God. Because encouragers are not wrapped up in their own personal preferences. They are wrapped up in Jesus and are joyful that people are coming to faith and worshiping Christ. And I read a story Max Lucado wrote, and he talks about how he discovered the importance of encouragement while running a half Ironman triathlon. I don't know why anybody would want to do that, but he did. And so after a 1.2-mile swim, he says, and a 56-mile bike ride, I didn't have much energy left for the 13.1-mile run. Neither did the fellow jogging next to me, he said. He said, I asked him how he was doing and I soon regretted asking that question. He said, This stinks. This race is the dumbest decision I've ever made in my life. He said, This guy had more complaints than a taxpayer to the IRS. My response to him, he said, was goodbye, because I knew if I stayed and ran and listened to him too long, that I would never, I would start agreeing with him and I would never make it. And then he said he caught up with a 66-year-old grandmother who had just ran, wait a minute, just ran 1.2 miles, rode a bike, he, or she swam 1.2 miles. She rode a bike 56 miles and was now running the 13 miles. I caught up with a 66-year-old grandmother, he said, and her tone was just the opposite. You'll finish it, she encouraged. It's, it's hot, but at least it's not raining. One step at a time. Don't forget to hydrate. All good moms and grandmothers would do that, right? Stay in there. He said, I ran, now listen to this part, I love this. I ran next to her until my heart was lifted and my legs began to ache. And finally, I had to slow down, Lucado says. No problem, she said, as she waved and ran on ahead of me. (laughs) That's a great story, but let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question for me, for all of us. As people are running alongside you in life, which one describes you? Are you, hey, this stinks. This is the worst decision I've ever made. We've never done it that way before. Or is it, hey, you'll finish it. Keep going. Keep trying. Keep risking. Hey, it's hot, but it ain't raining. There's always a brighter side. So which one am I? Which one are you? Church encouragers are full of joy. Joy is a characteristic should be of followers of Christ. There, there's a church in Colorado, and I think it's still in existence. I hope with a name like this it is. It it's called the OB Joyful Church. Now can you imagine if that first guy was a member of that church and somebody <laughs> asked him where he went to went where he went to church. But no, that, that's not our name, but that is our calling. I mean, we're Wall Highway Baptist Church, but you better believe we are—we should be the O oh, B Joyful Church because Philippians four four says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." There are no conditions. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, because Paul knew that we're going to have trouble with that. Again, I say rejoice. Well, what about when life stinks? Again, I say, rejoice. Well, what about when work's not going well? Again, I say, rejoice. What about when your best friend has left you? Again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. What about when you're running uh, that, those, those 13 miles and you're about to give up? Again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Barnabas focused on God's grace and he was glad. Number three, church encouragers live the life. They live the life of a follower of Christ. I love what we see in, in verse 24. Luke is looking at this guy's life and he says, let me tell you about Barnabas' resume. In good times, bad times, everything in between, let me tell you what this guy is really like. He says in verse 24, he was a good man, full of the spirit and full of faith. And in this resume, we see traits of a follower of Christ. First of all, it says he was a good man. What does that mean? Well, it means he was a follower of Jesus. He wasn't saved by works. It doesn't mean that his good works saved him. That's not why he was a follower of Jesus. He was good because he was a follower of Jesus, because he had been saved by grace. It It meant that the righteousness of Jesus was in him, and Jesus was living his life through him. That's what this means. He was a good man. It means that he had a passion for Jesus. He had a passion for the word of God. It means that he had a passion to obey God and his word. And he had a passion to see others come to know Christ and obey God in their life. It's someone who has character, who has integrity, and who has a love for others. I mean, we would just say this is just a good dude. I mean, he's just a good, godly man. He was good to the core. What You know, again, it's not because of anything he was, it was because of Jesus living through him. You know why he was good? It was because he was full of the Holy Spirit, which is what Luke tells us next. He was full of the Holy Spirit. It means that the Spirit of God who came into him, empowered him when he got saved was now in complete control of him. It means that Barnabas was fully and completely submitted to the Holy Spirit. That's why he was living the life that he was. That's why he was able to invest as he was, why he was able to put others above himself. He was good. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was righteous. He, Barnabas willfully submitted to the Holy Spirit. He was a humble guy. Barnabas was also full of faith, we see. Now, does this mean he was Mr. Perfect? Absolutely not. He made mistakes just like we all do. Does it mean he never had doubts? No, he had doubts just like we all do. He wasn't perfect. It, It means, though, that overall in his life, he was able to walk by faith and not by sight. It means that he was consistently living a righteous lifestyle. He was going through the process of sanctification. He was bearing fruit. He was discipling others. He knew God's word, and he trusted God's word. So when we look at a guy like Barnabas, how can he live a life like that? I mean, how was he able to live? I mean, I don't think any of us would say we don't want to be described in that way. I mean, we all want this type of resume, I would hope, right? A good, a good person, full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that's what we all should want. He was humble. He was spirit-filled, faithful. He was a good guy because Jesus lived his life through him. Look at Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified, Paul says, with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's Barnabas. And he was crucified with Christ. That old life is gone. His life is no longer his. He was a slave to sin. Now he's a, a slave to Christ. He belongs to Jesus. His life is Jesus, and it's Jesus living through him. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what, that's how Barnabas is being described here. He was a godly man. One more stop before we finish up today. Church encouragers have a passion for our mission. This all began when it says in verse twenty-two that the church in Jerusalem sent him. He was—they well, I mean, sent him, so that's something. But then you got to think about—he was willing to go. And this, think about the assignment here, long way away. Place unlike he had ever seen, different people, different culture, a dangerous place to be a follower of Christ. And not that Jerusalem wasn't, but this was this was rough, a rough, rough city. And we, you know, Jesus, if you know Jesus is your Savior, if you are a follower of Christ, you and I, if we are followers, we have been sent in some capacity in our lives in our world. We've been sent to our neighbors. We've been sent to the nations. And even just filling a shoebox and sending it is part of being sent, right? I mean, there, those are, there, there are various ways that we fulfill this purpose in our lives. Jesus said in John before his ascension, after his resurrection, as the Father sent me, now I send you. And that applies to us. Life's meaning is missions for the glory of God, living on mission each day. For the glory of God, Jesus is on mission to this planet to bring people to himself, to draw people to himself, to save them, and for them to be discipled. And he chooses to use his church, you and I, to do that. We are a part. Jesus' mission is now our mission. And it has to be. If we are going to fulfill the Great Commission, Acts 1-8, we have to make Jesus' mission our mission because he chooses to use us to make mature disciples locally around the world. Jesus' is on mission for the planet, for your community, for your family, for your neighborhood. He is on mission, and Barnabas is 100% committed to his mission because Barnabas is 100% committed to Jesus. I mean, that's evident in his life. We've just read his resume. We've seen examples. And he he was sent. Look at at how it's going in verse 24 again. Large numbers of people were added to the Lord. So in verse 24, we read that a great number of people turned to the Lord. They're being saved. They're being forgiven of their sins. They're finding hope. They're finding meaning and purpose in life. They're becoming disciples of Christ. They're beginning their mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Strongholds are being broken. The meaning here, eternal life in heaven. They found that. They found beyond their temporary existence, eternal purpose, eternal security. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing when you come to realize that, right? When you learn that Jesus died for your sins, when you think back, for those of you who are followers of Christ, that moment when you were convicted of sin and you realized that the wages of sin is death, whatever understanding you had, whatever age you were at, I was seven years old when I was saved. And I remember very clearly understanding the concept that I had done wrong and that Hell was the destiny of those who had done wrong. But then I also came to understand the grace of God as much as a seven-year-old can that Jesus died for my sins and wanted to rescue me from that eternity and made a way for that to happen. Think about that moment when you realize that. That's what's going on here at Antioch. The church at Antioch is coming to know Christ. They are, they are coming to know God's purpose. They are being discipled. They are praying. They are giving. They are discipling all of those things. But notice how believers are also growing in Jesus. Look at verse 26. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. So God's people met together. They're growing in the, in the Lord. So they're meeting In small groups, they're meeting in large groups like we are now. Discipleship is taking place. Worship is taking place. And they are growing in Christ. For a whole year, they met with them, and they are growing in Christ. They are helping them get started. They are helping to develop disciple leaders so that they can grow. Bible studies, worship, it's no different than it is today in terms of what has to take place. Now, we may use different methods, but the same principles— evangelism, discipleship, worship, missions, all of those things are taking place in this church. Now look back at verse 23. When he arrived, when Barnabas arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of heart. He's putting heart into them. He's giving them courage. He's encouraging them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of heart. He came to put heart into them, to impart courage, the definition of our word, encouragement. I mean, This guy, Barnabas, was lit up passionate about Jesus. Jesus had changed his life. He was not the same person. And he was passionate about others coming to know that truth and having that experience in Christ of knowing him and growing in him. You know, when we think about what Jesus has done for us, what else can we give our lives to that would even remotely compare to being completely sold out, devoted to Jesus Christ and his church? I mean, what, what else deserves that type of devotion? Because if we plant everything right here, we will be devastated when one day it crumbles all around us. But if we invest in eternity, as Barnabas does, we will find the same joy that Barnabas has and the same purpose and the same drive and the same passion for God's glory that Barnabas has. Barnabas is glad. He was passionate in his heart. And he encouraged these believers at Antioch to remain true to the Lord because he knew that we all as believers will fall flat on our face from time to time. But Barnabas says, get up, don't quit, keep going. Don't lose heart. He's passionate about the mission of Jesus, and he encouraged the church. The church at Antioch is passionate about the mission of Jesus, and Barnabas has a hand in that. Encouragement is spreading. You know how I know this? Because when you're passionate about Jesus, it shows in your life, and you're willing to pay the price, whatever that is. Barnabas was willing to pay the price to go to this place and invest in this church. And our time, our generosity, our talents, our abilities— how do they know they were willing to pay the price at Antioch? Here's the answers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, when we say that, we use that term in an endearing way, don't we? Christians. That was not how it was first used. This is the first time we see followers of Christ called Christians. It literally means the party of Christ, those who are with Christ. This is a Roman city. It was, as if if you believe as I do, the Romans gave Christians this name. So when we look at this, most people When we believe that and when we look at it, it was not a neutral term. It was not a term of endearment as you and I would use it. This was, make no mistake, a mocking term that was used to label these followers of Christ. Before this, they're called the way. That's what they called themselves. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They had found the way. They were followers of Christ. But the Romans are using it here in a mocking way. They saw so much Jesus in their life, And their passion for others, their passion for him, their passion for worship of God, love of people, the the Romans looked at these guys and said, look who's coming, it's the party of Jesus. Folks who are following a dead guy claiming that he's alive. There's Christians. That's how they used it. That's how they were labeled. They live in a hot area of persecution here. This is a difficult area to be a follower of Christ. It's Vegas. It's filled with the most immoral, ungodly situations you can imagine. And when we look at around our world, certainly in parts of the world, but even in our culture, it's really no different. You know, if you live in such a way that it's evident that you are a follower of Christ, you're going to be mocked for that in some way. But these folks They were totally, totally sold out, passionate about following Jesus. It didn't matter to them that they were being mocked. I'm sure it bothered them. They're human, but Mr. Encouragement comes in, and he injects joy, and he injects encouragement. He gives them heart. He gives them encouragement. He brings Saul along, who's just had his life changed by the power of God and his own mission for him now, and who's been accepted by Christ and accepted by the church. He brings Saul along to inject Heart and courage into these people to help disciple them. Mr. Encouragement comes into this situation, this hot era of persecution, and he lives for Jesus and encourages others to do the same. If you are a Christian, to where someone recognizes that, it's going to cost you something. Okay, it's going to cost you your priorities. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you maybe even comfort. It may cost you persecution or cause you persecution as these believers faced. But what I love about Barnabas, what I love about Mr. Encouragement here, he's right in the middle of it. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. And he's encouraging them not to quit and not to give up. The reason I share this is because in our culture, to say you're a Christian, it doesn't mean the same as it did then. It really doesn't mean anything. It's a box you check on a, on a form you fill out. I mean, people who aren't Christians call themselves Christians. It's not as much in our culture today, but it's still very much a thing. People, the label Christian really doesn't mean anything. In this day, it meant something. It meant you were willing to risk everything to follow Christ. It meant you were willing to endure being mocked and persecuted. Because you had identified yourself with Christ. It meant that you were willing to give up your own safety. It meant that if need be, you would give up your family to follow Christ because that happened. It meant that you would give everything to follow Jesus Christ. And with everything in me, folks, with everything in me, if someone calls me a Christian, I want it to mean today what it did then. I want it to mean because it's evident that I'm willing to give everything to follow Jesus Christ. That nothing is more important in my life than to pursue His plan, His purpose, His mission in my life and in my family's life. In Acts 11, it was not I go to church, I believe in God. It was not even I believe Jesus is real. It's more than that. When the Roman Empire mocked them and called them Christians, this is what it meant. It meant. To be a Christian, you are a turn from your sins, trust in Jesus, saved by grace, follower of Christ that will take the gospel to all people, no matter the cost. Does it mean the same for us as it meant for them? And the Romans said, Christian, Christian, they believe in a dead guy. They're crazy. Mocked them. And today everyone says Christian, it really doesn't mean anything, but for God's glory, it should mean the same. Willing to risk, willing to give everything. Barnabas and this group of people saved from all kinds of junk in their life, saved from sin. God was working in their lives. He was working in the church in Jerusalem. He was working in the church in Antioch. The gospel is going to the ends of the earth. And and I want that for this church. I want that type of purpose, that type of joy, that type of grace to be experienced. I believe the best days are ahead for us here for believers and the gospel's spreading like crazy in the parts of the world that are the most intense in terms of persecution. Things may be turning against Christ in our culture, but that is a perfect environment for the gospel to catch fire and for people to get saved. I want the same thing that was happening in Antioch to happen in our community, in our life, in our culture. There are so many wonderful things to do for God's glory, for his purpose, for his kingdom and in his name. And God can change lives. Anybody, we saw that with Saul. We see that, we've seen it in our lives. He can change anybody. He can can save anybody from the uttermost to the guttermost. You've heard that, right? And it's true, he can change anybody. Don't settle for less than anything than what we see happening in the early church in the book of Acts. And don't settle for anything less than being a Barnabas in the life of those that God has called you to minister to. It'll help us all play better. If we encourage each other and cheer each other on, it'll help us to try to risk and to move forward. We can encourage each other. Woodrow Kroll tells an interesting story. If you like history, as I do, it's about the second, it's out of the second Boer War that was from 1899 to 1902. There was a guy who was arrested and convicted and he actually went to jail. You know what his crime was? I'm not making this up. His crime was discouragement. I'm not kidding. He was arrested, convicted, and served time in jail. Here's what he did. This, in South Africa, the war was taking place in a South African town of Ladysmith. All the soldiers were in Ladysmith preparing to defend the city, and this huge army was advancing against them. This guy was a traitor. Here's what he did. He went up and down the line. History says he was walking up the line of soldiers, and here's what he was saying. Look how many of them there are. Look how few you are. They're going to climb these walls. They're going to kill your families. They're going to win. We don't have a chance. You might as well give up right now. Hang it up. There is no way that we're going to beat them. They're stronger, faster, and more powerful. He went up and down the line, discouraging them to the point that he got arrested after the battle was over, and he got arrested for being a discourager. His weapon was not a gun with ammunition. His weapon was discouragement and they threw him in jail for it. Wall Highway Baptist Church, our cause is great. It's greater than any of us. You and I are the victorious church of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We are the called out ones. We are set apart for service to have a passion for Jesus, to have a passion for his church, to have a passion for each other, to encourage, to impart courage, to put heart into each other, to try, to press, to risk, to move forward. The cause is too great. Lives hang in the balance. Why would anyone want to go through life discouraged? And I guarantee you none of us will make it if we go through life that way in terms of fulfilling God's purpose. So we say yes to encouragement, I pray and no to discouragement. We said yes to Jesus Christ, his word, his mission, and no to anything else that would stand in the way of fulfilling that mission. Life is better when someone cheers you on. You agree with that? Amen. Life is better when someone cheers you on. That's encouragement. Let's pray together. Father, we all need desperately people in our lives who will encourage us to try, to risk, to press on, to give everything. Life is difficult. Life is tough, and there are challenges, and Satan attacks us, and there are things that stand in the way of fulfilling the mission that you've given us, and we have to surround each other with love and compassion and and encouragement. We have to receive encouragement from you, strength, grace, mercy, daily, to move on, to move forward, and I pray that we will be committed to have the resume that Barnabas had to be good, godly people, full of faith, full of the Spirit, submitted to you. I pray that that would describe us. I pray that we would be willing to be identified with you, even if it costs us something, that we would give everything to serve you. We do that because of your grace that we've received. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here in this room or watching from home, if they haven't received that grace, I pray that they would realize that that grace is available to them, that you died on the cross, you gave everything, your life, you were buried, you were raised from the dead so that we could be free from sin. Lord, I pray that if there's someone that you're bringing under conviction now, Holy Spirit, that you're convicting their heart of sin, that they would surrender to you, that they would be willing to give their lives to you and receive that beautiful gift of salvation for those of us who know you I pray that we would be committed that we would say yes to encouragement we would say yes to your plan to your purpose that we would be identified with you that we wouldn't be ashamed to be called the party of Christ the group that follows not a dead man but a man who is alive a God who is living who has defeated death and has given us victory over death as well that we would live with reckless abandon for you, giving everything that we have and everything that we are for your cause. Lord, however you speak to our heart in this moment, I pray that we would respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of invitation?